Ladies and gentlemen, they're almost here. The World Championships in Eugene, Oregon. They're less than 10 days away. And we know you're a huge track and field fan. We also know you're not a member of the Let's Run.com Supporters Club. It's time to change that. Get all the Let's Run.com content from Worlds. We're going to have daily shows, daily podcasts for Supporters Club members. Don't miss out on any of the inside Let's Run scoop from Eugene. Join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. You also can save 20% on running shoes. The membership can pay for itself. Hell, sign up for a month and cancel. Buy a pair of shoes. It'll more than pay for itself. Or go big, join the supporters club for a year, and get one of the softest running shirts in the business. The Let's Run.com shirts, free training program, and a lot more. We guarantee you won't be disappointed. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. Track and field fans, we hope you're rested and pumped. It was a holiday weekend if you're American, so you should have an extra day of rest. And you'll need it because we're only 10 days out from the World Championships. We're going to get you ready for it. We're going to share our 10, the 10 events we're most excited for at Worlds. Everyone seems to be getting ready for them, including past stars that have been struggling, like Wade Van Niekirk. He's run and won a race in 44-58, Emmanuel Career. Olympic champion 800 has run a race in France and won that as well. Unknown Cuban has run 19.63. Could he be a factor at Worlds or will he not be there? Unfortunately, Molly Seidel won't be at Worlds. She's injured and her TU has not been, been approved. Might there be the Ethiopian stars doubling after all and following the vice of your tru- tru- yours truly? We'll talk about all of that and more, including an update on the athlete refugee star Dominique Lobalu. The London Marathon of Women's Elite Field has come out. The race is only 89 days away. It's absolutely stacked. We'll break that down. And while July 4th is normally a great day for most Americans, it's probably a conflicted day for Jonathan Gold because half his body is fighting with the other half. But I think Jonathan's probably feeling pretty good today. Because the Oregonian has reported that Travis Tiger, the head of the USADA, is more, quote, more skeptical of the rival doping agency and the way it handled this case than he is of Shelby Houlihan, end quote. Crazy stuff. Lots to talk about. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. I'm joined by only Jonathan Galt today. My twin brother and genetic equal is, folks, working tirelessly today to get the contest, the Let's Run.com World's Prediction Contest, up like 10 days out before World. So check that out. Get your friends. Enter it. But he won't be here today. Jonathan, I thought we wouldn't have a lot to talk about today, but we've got a lot to talk about. How are you feeling? How was yesterday, July 4th? I don't know. Is that weird for you? Your British chef and your American half, do your parents fight it out? It's a little odd now, but... When I was growing up, it wasn't strange at all because my parents neglected to tell me about this little conflict from the 18th century called the Revolutionary War. So I just knew July 4th was like America Day, basically. And we would have a cookout in the backyard, we'd eat American foods, that sort of thing. I just knew it was a celebration. I didn't recognize what it represented until I moved 
to Massachusetts, the cradle of the revolution in fifth grade. And then it became a little stranger, but no, I, I had a good time. Went down to the Charles River, watched the fireworks last night in Boston, which were pretty spectacular as always. So yeah, it was a good time. Good weekend. I guess things haven't changed that much. I haven't told my four-year-old about our enslavement of significant portion of the population, our colonization of the Indians, that part of the nation's history quite yet, but we had a fun day as well. Before we get into all this news that we, we talked about on, on the opening, John, Weldon has just texted me. He says, I left a voicemail for the show. I think that's to remind me to check the voicemails. I have it here. I Do you know how to do to that, it. Robert? Do you know how to I check do. the voicemails? Okay. I, do. I have it here. I think we should play it and just react. I mean, I listened to the first one second, and it appears to be him having altered his voice. I know that much. So it's a voicemail from him. I think we should play it and just see where this leads. Hey, guys. Love the show. WJ in Connecticut here. We Joe's the best. Anyway, have you guys seen what Elijah Manningoy has been up to? Dude can't even break 338. Love to see what Jonathan Galt has to say about him. He was full of praise for him when he got his whereabouts suspension. Keep up the good work. Talk to you later. Yeah, Elijah Manningoy, in case people forgot, he's the 2017 world champion. Uh, he's run 328. He's one of the fastest humans ever in the 1500. And a couple of years ago, he was suspended for two years for whereabouts failures. Same thing as Christian Coleman. Coleman served an 18-month ban. Manigoy was a full two years, December 2019 to December 2021. And he has raced, see right here, he was ninth of the Kenyan Trials, the World Championships in 340. And he has run one, two, three, four, five, six races this year. His season's best is 338.02. Like... Mr. Johnson told us on the voicemail. So what do I make of it? Is this evidence he was doping all along? I mean, you could argue that. I would also just say banning an athlete for two, the two years is a long time with no races to look forward to on the schedule. And we've seen it this year. Christian Coleman has not come back and started running nine sevens like he was when he left his suspension. Manigoy who knows what he was up to? Maybe he wasn't even training for a year. I haven't talked to I Maybe I should reach him, reach out to his coach, Bernard Uma, and get some answers about this. But I think everyone comes back from these bands differently. And he's now 29 years old. If he wasn't training a ton during his band, does it shock me he's running 338? Not really. And I would say I still give him credit because he owned up to his band. He admitted unlike Christian Coleman, who initially lied about what happened in his case, Manigoy said, hey, I did it. I'm accepting this ban. It was a you know, mistake on my part. Should have been more diligent. So I, I still give him credit for that. But yeah, I don't know. If he hasn't been training that much, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if he has, but this suggests that he hasn't. What do you think, Robert? Well, I wasn't expecting that voicemail to be on this topic, must admit, but... We are genetic equals because I meant to bring up Manningoy's struggles this year on last week's podcast. It's crazy to me that Weldon brought this up because I was going to joke like Asbel Kiprop, I know he was out for what, four years? He hasn't come back. Manningoy's a shadow of him former self. So it implies that actually they were on drugs and 
Now they're not very good when they're not on drugs. Um, one other aspect of this is his younger brother, George Manning guys, who supposedly only 21, who was the world junior champion in 2018, ran 331 in 2019. Isn't that also when his oldest brother got the whereabouts failures, 2019? Yes. Now, the younger brother, you would think if the older brother's on drugs, younger brother might be on drugs as well. Since then, he only ran 337 in 2021 and 335 in 2022, and that's a 335.86. So I see why he's getting this, but the interesting thing to me is that you think, okay, if they're dirty, then is the whole group dirty? But Timothy Chariot hasn't exactly fallen off. Like he's not as great as he used to be, but he's still pretty damn good. So, well, especially 2020 and 2021. Like this year, Chariot isn't quite as good as he was in the previous years, but he's also been on top of that event pretty much since 2018. And even after Manningoy got popped for the whereabouts failures, Chariot was the best in the world in the limited races he ran in 2020. And was the best for a good chunk of 2021. Silver at the Olympics, Diamond League champion. You know, he he really didn't fall off very much last year, and that was well after the suspension took place. So yeah, I don't know. My my leading theory would just be two years away from the sport is a long time. It's easy to lose focus, and you come back. It's very hard to just come back and still be a 328 guy after two years of no racing. But I don't know. I haven't talked to his agent or his camp or anything about what he was doing during his time away. So that's more speculation. Yeah, but I think you add in his brother's struggles and you start to wonder. You certainly start to wonder, of course. Anytime anyone's suspended for whereabouts violations, even if they say, this is on me, it's my fault, even if you take credit for it, it's still going to raise the probability in anyone's mind that someone who is popped for whereabouts, they are more likely to be doping than someone who isn't. Because if you're if you have you know if you don't have anything to hide, you should be making all of your whereabouts tests. It's not that hard to go without three failures in a year. Yeah, but I think the whole story also just shows how hard it is to be a track and field fan because so if one person in a group tests positive or misses a test, does that mean they're all dirty or not necessarily? And then that's why I made the Burrito Track Club shirts, you know, like you're sort of on on the record known for saying you don't know that Shelby's dirty. Some people have said she tested positive. Well, so did Ajay Wilson. So did Jerry and Lawson. I mean, if yeah, if you miss a test, even if you're exonerated, I think it's more likely that you were dirty than not. I mean, than if you hadn't missed the test, but it's just a difficult thing to be a track and field fan, which leads us to this other story. I wasn't really, didn't want to really lead with this, but I guess we kind of have to, since we're talking doping. Um, and this came out in, in the Oregonian, they had a long article. It was on Shelby Houlihan. What's she up to? How she's running these time trials. She's still pretty fast. She, she says she says she says she's innocent. And then sort of, I don't know. To me, this story was very weirdly written, um, because unlike the seventh paragraph, it's a story by Jeff Manning. It says that. Travis Tiger, head of the U.S. anti-doping agency, best known as the man who took down Lance Armstrong, told the Oregonian slash Oregon Live that he's more skeptical of the rival doping agency and the way it handled this case than he is of Houlihan. I don't know how this wasn't the lead of the story. And what's very weird about it is there's no quotes on this matter 
from Travis Tigers himself. So I don't know, John, as a journalist, what'd you think about this? Let's be honest. John and I behind the scenes have heard this. I don't know if it's rumor. I guess we could say now fact, or I don't know. We had heard that Tiger and USADA sort of were, I mean, we know that they're, they're worried about food contamination and the U S food chain. We already knew that we'd heard in this case, like kind of like if they had been in charge, she wouldn't have been convicted. And, but we'd never seen that reported. I don't know if we've talked about that on air because I don't know, I guess we didn't reach out for Tiger for his opinion. I assumed he wouldn't comment on this, but this article says he did comment, but there's no quotes. So do you think this reporter just heard the same rumors we did and did it? It sounds like he did talk to Tiger though, but then why wouldn't he put the actual quotes in? Maybe we need to reach out to Tiger ourselves to do this. I think we need to, Robert, because it's all very strange. If you have the goods and you have a quote like this, if you have a quote that Travis Tiger is telling you he's more skeptical of the rival doping agency, which is all, this is also a strange way of framing it. I think they meant the AIU here because they're the agency that's handling Houlihan's case. But if that's what you have, use that quote. It's very powerful to have a quote from Travis Tigart saying that. Instead, how they'd have it right now, he's still he's still reporting that. They have this information in the story, but it's strange that there wouldn't be some sort of a comp- accompanying quote to go with that. So makes me very curious about what exactly Travis Tigart told Jeff Manning. I've read his stuff in the Oregonian before. He's written some investigative pieces on track in the past, and they're good. He's a good reporter. So that's what why it's so strange to me that he wouldn't use the specific quote he was given here by Tiger, or maybe Tiger said, hey, this is what I believe, but I can't give you a quote on it. It's all handle interesting. I do think it's important to talk to Travis Tiger about this because one of the things we've also heard is the Houlihan case, you know, some of her supporters think she's just sort of collateral damage in a bigger battle between the AI, sorry, between USADA and on one side and the AIU water on the other side where, you know, USADA has cleared athletes like RJ Wilson, like Will Clay, like, you know, that have tested positive and Brennan Martinez that have tested positive for these substances and claims contamination as an explanation. And USADA is generally, they, I think they consider themselves fairly reasonable. They're in, on the side of protecting athletes. That's their argument. We need to protect the innocent athletes just as much as we go after the cheaters. And I think there's a difference of opinion sometimes on the side of AIU and WADA about perhaps being too soft on those athletes. There, there are other issues at play here. This isn't the only issue, but the AIU clearly in this case is more strict than Houlihan, than USADA would have been. And... Am I 100% sure Houlihan would have been cleared if you saw to handle this case? No, but I think it's far more likely. And certainly, when you have Tigart saying he's more skeptical of the AI, of the other rival doping agency than he is of Houlihan, that's kind of him saying he kind of thinks she's innocent, right? Am I reading that correctly, Robert? Or do you think he could be saying, he's still saying he's guilty, but he has questions about how the case was handled? I don't think it's him saying she's innocent. I think it's him saying she could be innocent. Okay. That, that's the okay. thing. Ajay Wilson, Jury, and Lawson, I don't know that they're innocent. I think people 
it's more likely based on what they tested positive for that they got into their into their system from eating food than certainly Shelly B. Houlihan. But I, I think there's a difference, you know. But I do agree with the quote. We need to work just as hard to exonerate the innocent as we do to pursuing the true cheaters. I've always thought that. A, a prosecutor's job is not to convict people. It's to try to find justice. Um, so I don't know if you're viewing this as a victory lap for Jonathan Galt. I mean, I, I think you and I have, have long felt the same on this in a big picture way. Like, it bothered me when Ajay Wilson tested positive and got off of it. I'm like, how do I know she's innocent? This is wrong. Like, like, I'm, how do I know she's guilty? I don't know. But either way, I'm just like, it's just who has the resources to hire these experts and have people test on their behalf and whatever. But look, when I was at the pre-classic, I sat down for an off-the-record talk with a very, very powerful person in U.S. track and field circles. And they asked, what do you think of this, Robert? And I thought it was interesting because I thought they would know more than me. But I said this. And I think I've told you this, John. I don't know if I've ever said this in the podcast. I said, look, big picture wise, I've heard that, you know, Travis Tiger, if he was in charge, this would be different. And I said, big picture wise, that's a problem to me. Not in a bad way necessarily for Tiger. It's a problem for the sport. Because I said, look, the actual innocence or guilt to me of Shelby Houlihan is kind of irrelevant. And I know there's a lot of people who think she's guilty and they're screaming right now. But she tested positive. She tested positive. Yes, she did. Showed to Shelby, showed to Ajay Wilson, et cetera. And it's been ruled out. I said there might be one in a million chance that she's innocent. But to me, it's a real problem if it doesn't matter. Like, look, either Tiger, either we have a really flawed system and, and they're, 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 they're testing, they're, they're popping people they shouldn't pop because these tests are too sensitive or the food supply is so fucked up that nobody can really end, figure out what's in, in their meals. Or we have a head of the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency that's letting people off that shouldn't be let off. And while throwing the book at people and getting Alberto Salazar and these other people on technicalities. So... The message board throughout on this is eight pages. I haven't had time to read it all. It's really interesting. So you're like, well, Tiger's the one that never, somebody was like, he'd never, he tested Lance all the time, never, never got him positive. I'm like, what? He went after Lance. He went after Alberto. This is not a guy that's known for letting American stars slide. He's gone after them. But to me, like, it's almost like the feds, like if they want to get you, they're going to get you. If they want to let you off. They can also let you off. But I just think it's a problem either way. Like this system's really messed up or he's really off. And I don't know which it is. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I tend to agree with Travis Tiger on most, most things. I think he goes, I think he generally serves the interests of the sports. I feel like I, I've quite a lot of faith in him in terms of the anti-doping community, but yeah, Robert, the fundamental point here is, there is a problem when, depending on who collects your sample, you are going to have two different outcomes. If you get a, if USADA is testing you and has control of the case, versus if AIU is testing you and has control of the case, we've seen that produces two different outcomes. That's a problem for the anti-doping agency, uh, for for the sport as a whole, because athletes from other countries will see, hey, 
American athletes, they're not being held to the same standard by USADA as we are by the AIU. And that's wrong. And I agree. But maybe that means the AIU needs to change their standards. Uh, but either way, ha- when you have a conflict and cases are being treated differently depending on the agency administering them, that is an issue. And I think that's probably enough on this topic. You know, we got other stuff to discuss, but it's interesting how the people on the message board are like acting like Tiger soft on people and protecting a Nike athlete. Are, are you kidding? He took down a guy who was like an American hero, Lance Armstrong. Like that was amazing work. So I agree, based on his past history, he's pretty strong. So to me, I, I would lend, I would tend to lead, trust him. I, I didn't really like some of the Salazar stuff. Like I, I went Salazar banned for years, then I'm like, look, they got him. I mean, I guess he should have been banned, but they didn't get any athletes for doing anything. But it's just a complicated thing. More shot. Let's link to the message board. I know I'm pissing some people off, but look, when I was a kid, I grew up in Texas. They had the death penalty. I used to think, oh, all these criminals are guilty. Now I'm like, most of them are guilty, but a few of them are innocent. And it's really sad if they've been executed when they were innocent. So that's just the way it has to work in, 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 this, in this topic. All right, moving on. Well, Robert, I was going to take this as sort of one larger category, but we had a few results you teased in the open. Wade Van Niekerk, 44-58 at the American Track League meet in Atlanta on, I think that was on Saturday. We had Rainier Mena of Cuba, runs 1963 in Le Chaux de Fonds, Switzerland. Previous personal best, 20.04. So he PR'd by more than four-tenths. We had Emmanuel Correa's runs 148 and in France over the weekend. But notably about that race, he beats Elias Ngeni, who made, well, he qualified for the Kenyan team. He doesn't have enough tests, so he's not going to be at, at Worlds. But he was, what, third of the Kenyan Olympic uh, Kenyan World Championship trials in the 800 meters? Yeah, career 148.17 doesn't sound impressive, but this was a race yesterday I found. But he beat the third place at the Kenyan trials, Elias Nagini, by 0.47. And then we also had Marco Arop out in Edmonton runs 143.61 to win convincingly there at um, you know, sort of a low-key meet. Runner-up was Robert Heppenstahl, three seconds back, 146. So my question to you is, of these performances... Do, do any of them move the needle for you? Which of these do you think, hey, this guy could have a major impact to the world championships based on what we saw this weekend? I guess, to be honest, I was really pumped to see the weight, see this Wade Van Niekirk. Um, I mean, he's still only 29. Had that magnificent world record in the 2016 Olympics and then he's kind of gotten hurt in, after 2017 and hasn't been himself. But when I was, you know, if you watch the race, he was so dominant. And he was beating some good guys. Like, I think Jamaican national record holder. I mean, he just destroyed them all. So I was pretty pumped about that. And then someone pointed out, I think, on the message board, like, look, he actually ran faster last year. He ran 44-56. Didn't even make the final. But I, I do think that this could be a fun event. I mean, Michael Norman is leading the way at 43-56. Karani James has run 44-02. But... I mean, at 44.58, Wade Van Nieker, it's only 14th. So there's a lot of guys in that 44 to 44.5 range. But Stephen Gardner, I don't think, doesn't get enough credit. This guy hasn't lost a 400 race that he's finished in five years. 
but he's sitting only at fifth at 44-21. So, I don't know. Can Michael Norman win his first medal? Can Garner keep the win streak alive? Could Wayne Van Niekirk? I guess he's kind of needs another half second to really be a big man. I think it's going to take sub-44 to win this race. But I'm just happy to see it. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, I'm amazed by Karani James. Karani James was the world champion in 2011. And now he's number three in the world. He medaled at the Olympics last year. Like, the 400 meters is not an event you were good at for a decade. It is a young man's event most of the time. And obviously, Michael Johnson is an exception there. Michael Johnson is the greatest 400-meter runner of all time. So uh, there are exceptions for goats. But if Karate James could win it 11 years after Daegu, that would be pretty phenomenal. Like you said, yeah, Norman. Van Niekirk, based on how good he looked in that race, I did get kind of excited. I was like, all right, could he get down to 43? Maybe. But... He hasn't broken 44 seconds since 2017. And I was looking, I was like, is he even going to be able to qualify for this meet? Because he ran that time after the qualifying window closed. Then I looked back, he didn't hit the standard at the Olympics last year, I don't think either, but he did hit the qualifying standard on June 29th, 2021, which is one day after it opened. So he will be at the World Championships, assuming a South African name to the team. I think of those performances over the weekend, though, Robert, I'm discounting, I'm sorry, to Rainier Mena of of Cuba, but that track has produced some crazy outlier times in the past. Uh, Isaac McQuala a few years ago ran 43-7 there, and I'm just pretty skeptical of any crazy performances that come out of that track. Plus, there are reports circulating that him and a bunch of other Cuban athletes do not want to compete for Cuba. He might be trying to compete for Portugal. They might not even be at Worlds. So even if he is at Worlds, I don't think he's going to be a factor, but I don't think he's. it sounds like he's even going to be at Worlds. So I'm kind of writing him off. I think the AROP performance, though, was big because I was already pretty high on Marco AROP. Remember, he won the Birmingham Diamond League earlier this year. And he didn't have a great run at World Indoors. He was eighth in that final. He's kind of a bigger guy. He doesn't do great indoors. But, you know, he was he won two Diamond Leagues after the World Championships last year. Ran 143-2 in Monaco. Sorry, after the Olympics last year. And now he's running 143-6 in his final race before the World Championships. That's a totally wide open race. I, don't, I think Marco Arop has about as good a chance to win as anyone, the way I see it. Oh, yeah. The Arop thing was huge for me. I mean, you threw a lot of different events to me at once, but I think he might have... I mean, I don't know. Him or Max Bergen was my favorite. Both have been incredible. I think I've got to go with A-Rob just because he's more experienced. He gets his peak right. It's amazing. I mean, remember, he dominated the, the Birmingham Diamond League. And I was like, look, remember what he did after the Olympics last year? You're like, how did this guy not win the Olympics? And he seems to be in really, really good form now because of that. There's actually an, another result that we didn't mention here. The... Of course, the Mediterranean Championships were last week. John, I'm sure you were watching them live on the internet or something. Captivated. But there's like, I don't know how many, there's three Algerians that are quite good at 800 this year. The fastest of them, Dejamal Sejati, won the gold over at Yassin Hetat, 144.52 to 144.79. Now, he hasn't 
run. I don't think any. Oh, I guess he ran the world's. I was thinking he's run no meets that I've watched this year. He's run 143 and 69 in Strasburg. Um, but that's not true. He ran world indoors, went out in the rounds there. So he's 23 years of age. Who knows? I mean, it, it's wide open, but I think A-Rop now is my slight favorite. I'm still going with these guys that I know a little bit more, Bergen. But it, these Algerians certainly could be in the mix. Um, one last thing about Wade Van Niekirk and Cronny James, John. And I meant to say when you were talking about it, do you guys re- do you realize that Karani James is actually younger than Wade Van Niekirk? They're both 29, 29 but Van Niekirk's like 48 days older. So Karani James just came onto the scene earlier. Um, but you're you're right. It's amazing that he's still going because, I mean, when I was in high school and college and becoming a fan of the sport, the guy was Quincy Watts. He's like four or five years older than me. Quincy Watts was like, this is pretty standard. Like, you catch lightning in a bottle, you rock your NCAA year, you go to the Worlds or the Olympics and you win that. And that's your peak. 21-22. Quincy Watts was 22 when he won the Olympic gold medal in 1992. Never medaled again. Next year, fourth. I mean, this is one of the top coaches now in, in, in the country. But he couldn't figure out a way to have a good career back then. So. Yeah. Karate James, no, it's ridiculous. He won, or do you know how old he was when he won the, his first world title in Daegu? 18. He turned 19 a couple days after the final. Yeah. And then the Olympic champion 2012. And then from like 2016 to 2020, like. He he will go a couple years. He's had Graves' disease. He's had all these, you know, he's had some issues with staying on the track, but he'll usually show up and perform at the championships. You know, he medaled 2021. I think he was fifth in the final or something in 2019. Like, he'll always show up and deliver, and I think it's just cool that he's still in that mix now as he approaches his 30th birthday. Um, anything else on the weekend performances that we wanted to mention well i think there's some you know there were some interesting races not really necessarily impact of worlds but i mean yes july 4th to me means peach tree road race and we spent a lot of time on last week's podcast going nuts about the fact that kibawat candy who won the candy trials won't be at worlds because he doesn't have the qualifier well he was smart and he got on a plane and flew over to america anyways because the Atlanta Track Club was offering $53,000 in bonuses if anyone broke the course record men's or women's open races or men's or women's wheelchairs. Now, if more than one person broke it, they had to split the money. So I think the course record was like 2701. Now, no one came close to that time. Well, understandably so. It was mid-70s with humidity in the 90s when this race started, Robert. So... For running course record times, not exactly ideal. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Weather Expert? Yeah. So 20s, and he didn't even win the race. Ronis Caputo, who Candy had crushed at the Kenyan Trials, right? Wasn't Caputo only like seventh or something? Yeah, did he even run it? Yeah, he was sixth in the Kenyan Trials. Oh, okay. Um, but he Caputo wins it, runs 27. 26 candy was second 27 34 connor mance top american 28 04 um and the women's race was absolutely even more loaded they had 
Simberi Teferi wins in a sprint finish, 30-49 over Irene Cheptai. Bridget Kosky, the marathon world record holder, was third in 30-57. Top American Annie Frisbee in 10th, 32-22. But I don't know. I was in charge of the, of the website last night, the homepage. I put this up there. I meant to start a message board thread about this. So no one gets the course record in the running events. A wheel, a woman's wheelchair racer did get it. So she gets $53,000. Look, we've talked about wheelchair racing. You and I don't follow it. I don't think that there's a very large fan base that people, the general public gets excited about it. But if the Atlanta track club wants to give out $53,000 to a wheelchair athlete, I'm not going to stop them. I like that they're paying elite athletes. They did offer this prize to any of the athletes, wheelchair or you know regular runners who broke the course record. They would split it basically. I like this initiative. And yeah, maybe they're just trying to be inclusive. But yes, 53000 for a wheelchair race where how many people are even in this race? It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of nuts, but it's their money. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for inclusivity and inspiring people. And I mean, a couple of my friends have kids that are sort of disabled. It's very tough. But part of it bothers me as a pure sports fan. I'm like, just not as many people do this. And it reminds me too that like a lot of elite professional running is charity. It's more obvious when you're giving out $53,000 to some race that not that many people care about. But I'm like, well, some would argue that's not any different than the road race. But I'm like, well, no, at least in the road race, there's like 50,000 runners that are, they're taking some money from them to support the other runners. You know, how many wheelchair racers are there? But it is what it is. Atlanta Track Club, though, is great for the sport. The fact that they can have that much money to me is, is amazing. So, And Robert, you know what I'm pumped about is this Connor Mance result. 28.04, I was looking in the press release here. He was only one second shy of the fastest time ever run by an American at Peachtree, which was Craig Virgin, 28.03, way back in 1981. So, I mean, doesn't surprise me. Connor Mance, he just got fourth at USA's in the 5K. We know he's very fit. We know he's a terrific road racer. I'm just very excited because he's he said after USA's in the 5K, he's making his marathon debut this fall. And he didn't announce a race, but guessing it's Chicago or New York. And I'm just going to be very excited to see what he can do because I think he has all the skills needed to become the next great U.S. men's marathoner. Now, let's think about this for a second. Yeah, it's a big result. And he's in good shape right now. Chicago's first. Do you think he should do that, or do you think he should do New York? I mean, he's not... When I think of a guy that's good at cross-country and really grinding, I often think, well, that would be good for New York. But I guess grinding's pretty good. You can grind in Chicago, too, but it's hard to stay in the lead pack and stuff like that. I think if you want to be up there and you want to chase a podium spot, well, we, we don't know how the fields are going to look. Chicago's field traditionally probably a little weaker, but you're probably going to have to run 205, 206 to be up there. I don't think he's going to do that first time out. Could I see him, though, sneaking onto the podium in New York because of the way that race is run? Yes. So I think his shot at placing higher or getting on the podium is probably higher in New York, assuming the field is somewhat comparable. But I could also see him going to Chicago and running 208. He's not going to do that in New York. So it's kind of more what you're interested in, but yeah, I absolutely think he'd be a good fit with his grinder 
ways, and he won. He stomped everyone at one of the hilliest courses in NCAA cross country history at Oklahoma State a couple of years ago. So I'm sure he'll do fine in the hills and stuff in New York. But I, he's run pretty fast, so I could see him going out and grinding a 208 in Chicago. I think can't really go wrong. What if what if we find out this week though he's running London, Robert? What would you how would you feel about that? I'd be amazed by the cojones he's got. I don't like to associate male anatomy with guts, but I just did. Um, Emily Sisson did that for her. Her debut was in London. Speaking of Emily Sisson, what is up with her? She's not been running very well recently. Yeah, I, I don't know. She broke the U.S. record in the half marathon a couple of months ago, but then she ran, what was it, the BAA 10K? Was she she was in that race? Oh, no, the New York, New York City Mini, right? And she was well off the pace. Well, she was seventh in New York City Mini, 31.29. And then she ran in the BA 10K, 32.03. She was crushed by... C- crushed by Kira D'Amato, who beat her by 46 seconds. So, yeah, that's definitely... we. I, I assumed after how well she... You know, she, I know she'd had some issues last fall having to scratch from New York and like getting healthy again, but... After that performance in Indianapolis where she broke the U.S. record, I was like, oh, she's back. This is the summer of Emily Sisson. She'll win all these big road races. It'll be great. And it hasn't quite happened. So I do wonder if she's – did that just take a lot out of her, that effort? Or is has another injury popped up? Or she could be starting a marathon build. I really think she ought to run Chicago. I've said this before. She's not good at Hills. New York, she's never run in her life again. Yeah, agree with agree with you on that. Or I guess she could go to London. But I guess London, she's not on the start list. No. Run Chicago, Emily. So speaking of Kira D'Amato, she did have that big win of the BAA 10K, 31-17 a couple weeks ago. And now it turns out she's actually going to be running at the World Championships in the marathon because Molly Seidel has withdrawn with a sacral stress reaction. She also said that the TUE she applied for for her AGHD has not been approved yet. But the main reason here is the sacral stress reaction. And really, it's been a pretty horrible year if you're Molly Seidel. She said, you know, this year it's been tough for her with her mental health. But also, remember, Boston build-up wasn't, you know, she had that hiccup towards the end, and then she couldn't end up making it through, drops out of that race. Now she's giving up her spot for a home world championships. It's tough. She had such a high in 2021 with the Olympic bronze medal, and then the American course record in New York, and it's just been sort of a a harsh harsh follow-up for Seidel. So hoping she can get her mental health in order, and, but she's taking a little break right now. With DeMondo, though, it's interesting. You know, obviously you would hope to have someone who has actually done a full marathon build-up, but if you can't get that, this is about the best backup option because we know she's very fit right now just running that 3117 and she's the American record holder she broke that record earlier this year and we also know this means a lot to her this is her first US team Robert and I remember talking to her last year whether she would accept her spot if she got picked because the criteria for this came out very late in the process and a lot of people were kind of pissed off about that and D'Amato ended up just missing out 
on a spot. She qualified for the World Half Marathon Championships in 2020, didn't get to run that because USA chose not to send a team. So she's really like this. She's 37 years old. She's never made a team. This means a ton to her. So she absolutely, she leapt at the chance. We know that she's not going to have the marathon build she wanted, but we've also talked about how the conditions are an equalizer. So I don't know. Would it be the most unlikely story ever if she ended up meddling? No. Is she going to medal? Probably not, but I'm glad that she gets the opportunity in terms of someone subbing in for Molly Seidel. This is about the best case scenario. I think it's a cool story. I mean, Molly's hurt. I want her to physically get better, mentally get better. John, everything below of averages. Last year was a high. This year was a little bit of a down low. But let's wish her the best. But you no, know, this quote's amazing from Runner's World. From Damato, everything I've been working for my whole life is to make this U.S. team, to be able to wear the red, white, and blue and a Team USA jersey. Dot, dot, dot. I would regret it for the rest of my life not saying yes to an opportunity like this. Are you kidding me? So certainly the country has its flaws, but it's great to see someone excited to represent it. And, yeah, she's always racing. I mean, she's – I'm like, what motivates her? She's always staying in shape. So I, I, I kind of think like the – Scott Rasko training is you're not that far off from your peak. Like you're always kind of in shape. Maybe I'm wrong about that. doesn't seem to be as periodized. You take a, a big de- downtime. So I think she'll be ready to go. She's in good shape. It's totally that way. That's, that's kind of how her record attempt in Houston came about. You know, that wasn't, I don't think that was originally on the schedule where there was sort of just like, she ran so well in the half marathon champs last December. They're like, Hey, yeah, well, we can fit this in, you know, we can go for it. So I, I think that's sort of how their system works. And also, you know, she did qualify for the World Half Marathon Championships team this year based on winning the champ, the U.S. title last year. But there is no World Cham- Half Marathon Championships anymore. They're supposed to be in China. And China essentially is still going with the strictest COVID measures in the world. So we had both the Chinese Diamond League meets that were supposed to be this year were canceled. Now the World Half Marathon Championships, which are supposed to be in November, they've or October or November, they're already canceled. I'm wondering, is China ever going to host any sort of running event internationally again? They're supposed to host World Indoors in March. I'm not optimistic at all that that is going to happen. Are we going to turn this into a politics show? This may be the last iPhone I ever buy. I, I can't stand China. My friends used to live there. They said it's awful. Like... This whole Mr. President Z, whose daughter, by the way, we educated at Harvard. What a joke, too. Like, he stakes his whole thing on zero COVID. I remember thinking, how do you have zero COVID? Because COVID's always going to be here. And unless the vaccines are like 100% effective, you're screwed when you open back up. Maybe they're just never going to open back up. Maybe that's convenient for them because they, they like to have a close society. But they need to pull world indoors from there now and put it somewhere else. Like, this can't keep going on. I would say... Like, Robert, do we need a World Indoors next year? We already have World Cross in February. We're going to have a World Outdoor Championships. And we're going to have World Indoors in 2024 as well. Now, we have argued we're in favor of the two majors. You know, track needs more majors, right? You need to have people taking stuff seriously. But do you think we should have World Indoors every year or are you good with it every other year? The more 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 we have, the better. But I really don't 
I don't like having the world outdoors every other year. We have one year off every four. That doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, I don't like that so, at all. It, uh, I think that if you were going to have world indoors in alternate years, you'd make sure it was that year. But well, this one's just a makeup. Like we, it's supposed to be world indoors is even years, but this was makeup for them not having it in 2020. My argument for world indoors: What about the year when we don't have the world outdoors? You have a world indoors that year in the summer. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. You just just make it world outdoors. Don't have world indoors indoors in the summer. Just make it no. in world outdoors. A small crowd looks big in an indoor stadium, and everyone gets excited, and they go into this air-conditioned building and run in there. Now, the 100-meter guys aren't going to be excited about it. The 200-meter, well, Noah Lyles isn't going to be excited about it. The discus stores aren't going to be excited about it. I'm just skeptical of how many, like how many Americans, we had people say, oh, I don't want to go all the way to Serbia and, you know, in the world championship year. Are people really going to want to go to Nanjing, China? What, what do you mean? I don't care where they want to go to. These people need to get get their heads out of their, you know what, and, and start competing. Cole Hawker, hope it was worth it to set out the year for the World Outdoors because you're not going to that either. So, you know, we, we got to start treating events like more than one major. You and I went. It was great fun. I wish everybody else had gone. But, you know, can't she medal? Care to model? I'm not going to rule it out because, look, I ruled it out in the 2020 Olympics for, for Miley Seidel. And I said no American would be at 30K. Weldon was going to offer $1,000 if an American was even with the lead pack at 30K. And she meddled. I said last week that no American would be with the lead pack at 30K of Worlds. Now, that was before DeMotto was in this field. But it's come out, you know, the London Marathon Elite Women's Field came out last night. And this field is absolutely stacked. I mean, it's got a record eight sub-219 women, five sub-218 women, led by Bridget Kozkai. You've got Y-squared, Yellow Mizif, Yellow Who, half marathon ace, 217-23. PB, Joycelyn Jeff Kozkai, 217-43. On and on and on. But, so that's a record. Most sub-218 women in the field is five. This year's London. From the best that I can tell, the, the previous record was four. When was that? 2020 Olympics, when Molly Seidel got a medal. This race has eight sub-219 women. 2020 Olympics had six sub-219 women. So, that's pretty crazy. I mean, when Seidel got that medal, that was a totally stacked marathon. Yeah. And speaking of London, I'm very excited for this race. I mean, London, it's always, we know the fields are going to be good, right? They're, they're great every year. The one matchup I do wish we could get is Bridget Cosguy against Perez Jepchichir. And the and we had it at the Olympics last year. They went one two. It was great. But Cosguy was not herself back then. She was she was good, you know, by anyone else's standards, but she was not Bridget Cosguy good. She was not the woman who ran two sixteen in Tokyo earlier this year or set to the world record of two fourteen in Chicago last year. Sorry, in 2019. So I would like to see now that Jeb Chia just continues to never lose any marathon of any kind and Kozgai is back to her best. It would have been great to see them squaring off in London or New York. I don't really care as long as they're racing each other. That's kind of a bummer, but because, you know, I could see a scenario in this race where Kozgai just destroys everyone. But you've got so much other talent behind her. She's really going to need to run an A race. You know, you've got Y squared, like we said. 
217 had debut, fastest debut in history earlier this year. Defending champion Jocelyn Jepkos guy. Digger to a Zimmeraw, 217 last year in London. You know, it's going to be, and you got the Brits will get excited because they have Ailish McColgan, who's been having a great year. She's making her marathon debut as well. So, and this is just the women's race. I'm sure the men's race is going to be good. I kind of hope Kipchoge doesn't show up. I wanted to run New York. He said he wants to win all the majors. It's time to go to New York. But oh, wow. I, you know, it's going to be a great marathon. I didn't think about that. So they'll release the men's field, what, within a week? I think it's supposed to be on Thursday. If Kipcho- Are you going to? Are we going to riot if Kipchoge refuses to come to America and race this fall? Are we going to say? Well, we need to get the article ready. Either way. So if he's not announced in the London field, then that means he's running New York. Let's be honest. I... It would unless they've been cooked up some new breaking 159 project for him. But yes, you would deduce. I think there's a very real possibility he runs London because he said it's one of his favorite races. They always treat him well. He's won there four times. I could see him do that. God, I hope he doesn't do it. What's amazing about this London's women's field also is they have five of the six fastest women in 2021. So Five of these women have run 218.12 or faster this year. Bridget Coast Guy, one Tokyo, 216. Y squared, 217.20 Hamburg. Michelle Bakaley, second Tokyo. Joan Chalima, first in Seoul. Sutuma Asefa, second in Seoul. So a lot of women that are really in shape. Now, Ruth Chepengedich is the second fastest woman this year because she won $250,000 in Nagoya, 217.18, is not in this field. She's the defending Chicago champ. I assume that means she's going to go to Chicago, but she's also running Worlds this week or in a couple weeks, right? Yeah, well, she, I mean, she ran the Olympics in Chicago last year. So this is a much bigger, this is a bigger gap than that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her do the same thing. And I do think one thing that's helping the character models of the world is I think some of these women, and they, they know they're not in per- perfect shape. Yeah, they'll drop out of the Worlds and they'll yeah. get ready for the payday in the fall. Absolutely. All right, that's our London Marathon women's field talk. We'll have, we'll probably talk about the men's field on the Friday 15. We'll need something to talk about on the Friday 15 because there aren't going to be a lot of track meets this week. But there is one big track meet next week, Robert. Yeah. And we're only 10 days away. It seems crazy when this meet was awarded to Eugene. What was it? This it, I feel like it was December 2014 or something like that without the formal bidding process, you know, it was a little bit of a surprise. But Eugene, Oregon, the United States, was awarded the World Championships, and now it's it's been delayed by a year, but we are only 10 days away from the first ever World Track and Field Championships in the United States. Not true. First ever outdoor World Track and Field Championships in the United States. Okay, the big boy worlds, the serious one, the one that everyone shows up to. Yep, and corporate, meaning Weldon Johnson, has instructed us. He's like, you know, we, we're about to publish our first event preview. The men's steeplechase starts in the first day, so John's previewed that. Weldon's like, we need more, you know, 10 days to worlds are 10 most exciting events. So I said, John, why don't you come up with your 10, the 10 events you're most excited for? And it looks like you followed my instructions because I'm looking at this document here. You've got 10 events. And the problem is one, two, three, four, five, 
six, seven. Ladies, those of you that are single and thinking, oh, wow, do you think John will ever and I will ever date? This is why you're don't, – don't be pining about Jonathan late at night. Seven of these events are male-dominated events, John. I'm always pointing out as the woke member of the cast, like – that was a joke. People expect me to be racist and sexist because I'm an older guy. I'm from the South. My dad <clears throat> worked for George W. Bush, that evil man. And But they expect you, the young guy, born overseas, to be Mr. Woke. But you've got seven of these events male-dominated. I'm only giving you a little bit of hard time. John did justify these events. He's like, look, I just... I find the well, should we go through the events? And Let, let's explain? just I'm just gonna run through this very quickly. Let's start, let's just on the sprints, Robert. Men's hundred meters versus women's hundred meters. Which one are you more interested in? So this is the logic that John used on me. And he's got a good point. Look, these women's hundred meter runners are two of the greatest of all time. But I'm pretty sure I know what's gonna happen. Shelly Ann Fraser Price is gonna win. It's cool that she's gonna win one, what, 14 years after she first won one? Is that right? Yeah. But it's not nearly as interesting as a race. It's like, which Jamaican is going to win it, right? How is Melissa Jefferson going to do? On the men's side, there's like four Americans. Probably three of the four could win it. We have Marcel Jacobs. We've got a Kenyan guy. What other storylines am I missing? Jamaica's back. Johan Blake just ran 985. Fred Curley could go supernova here. I don't know. I look. There are people who would say, "Wait, we've got Elaine Thompson, hurrah!" And Sharika Jackson, who just won the Jamaican Trials, by the way, and Shelly Ann, all going at it in the hundred. Like, how can you not think that's the better event? I, I don't fault you if you see that. I'm just more interested by the men's hundred, Men, women's two hundred versus men's two hundred. All right, Sharika Jackson just went nuclear with the twenty-one fifty-five of the Jamaican Trials, but come on, Lyles versus Knighton after what happened in the trials. Clearly, the men's two hundred is more exciting. Women's 400, that event doesn't excite me at all. I'm Whereas the men's 400 with, we talked about it earlier, Gardner, Norman, Karani James, that one I'm more excited by. Men's 400 hurdles is going to be a better race than the women's 400 hurdles. Look, Sydney might run something ridiculous, but we know there's no doubt she's going to win. Like, there's just no drama there. Where there is in the 400 hurdles with Benjamin versus... Dos Santos, and also Costa Warhol. Where is, he, where is he at? Can he summon a heroic performance through injury? And also the 110 hurdles. Again, 110 hurdles is more interesting to me than the 100 hurdles with Holloway, Allen, Heinzel Parchman lurking, Trey Cunningham, Daniel Roberts just winning USAs. We, we could see a world record there. We'd have two of the three fastest men in history. Women's 100 hurdles just doesn't... You know, Alicia Johnson and Kenny Harrison both been running well, but it's same with Jasmine Camacho Quinn. But I think the storylines are more interesting on the men. So that's just the sprints, but that was sort of my logic. And Robbie, here's the thing when you are a woke liberal like me, and you have faith that you are looking at things without the bias of race or gender, you can have confidence. Sometimes it just shakes out that the men's events are more interesting than the women's events. And I think. This top ten list—that's kind of how it came. That came out, at least the way I see it. I don't know. Do we'll get to the events in a minute? But do you? Is there an event, a women's event, you would sub in for a men's event? I have on the this list that I made a clear mistake here. No, I thought your argument to me was—I'm just looking out for it. 
nowadays, if there's a discrepancy between sexist or racist, people assume that it's racist or sexist. I don't think that's the case. I think if you actually made a good, I do think there's a, I mean, I think in general, and I've seen, I've heard women's track and field journalists. I heard three or four of them do it on the alley and the run show say that they find women's runners just to be inherently more interesting than men's runners. So if a woman can say that, then some men may find men's sports a slightly a little bit just inherently interesting than women's. But I think you actually made good reasons for all those arguments. I mean, some people might say, oh, historically, some of these, like the women's 100 hurdles is pretty stacked too. But to me, the men's is more interesting because we're Grant Hallway fans. We're also more of an American website. But he could easily set the world record in that final. He also can easily not even medal. And I don't think that there's – well, I guess Kenny Harrison well, does I'd have be, the world record. I'd be very surprised if Grant Holloway doesn't medal. But I think you could say this that about Devin Allen. I think you could say Devin Allen could set the world record – he could also not medal. Devin Allen almost didn't make the team. He made the team by about three thousandths of a second, and that was after running twelve eighty four earlier this year. Like, think how exciting that event was at USA. So we had a surprise winner in Daniel Roberts. Devin Allen almost doesn't make the team, and that wasn't even with Grant Holloway in the field. Then you add in Hansel Parchment, who quietly is undefeated this year and is the reigning Olympic champion, and we know that he is good at closing races, which is the exact opposite of Grant Holloway. So it's nice little sort of matchup of styles there. Yeah, I'm I'm more excited about that event than the 100 hurdles, no doubt. In defense of the women's hurdles, where the world record is 12.20, you have 10 women who run under 12 under 12.5 this year. So if you're doing it by off the world record, that would be like 10 women who run under 13.1, which is well, pretty good. Not only that, Robert, you got to look at the results of the U.S. trials because that was an exceptional race. Harrison wins it, 12.34. Alicia Johnson, 100th of a second behind in 12.35. And that was into a 1.4 headwind. So you get rid of the wind? They're getting fairly close to world record territory there. And I think there is an interesting storyline with Kenny Harrison. She's never won a global outdoor title. She is the world indoor champ from 2018, and she has silver, a couple of silver silver medals at global championships, but she's never won. And we sort of had a debate about this a couple weeks ago. She used to be sort of viewed as a choker that was in part 2015, she didn't medal, and then 26, sorry, 2017, she didn't medal. 2016, she didn't even make the team in a year that she broke the world record. So... There was that narrative that popped up. I think she's basically removed that narrative. You know, just because she hasn't won a global outdoor title since then, she's won five straight US titles and she's gotten a couple of silver medals. Like, clearly, she's not shrinking at these major championships anymore, but she hasn't won the biggest prize in the sport, which is Olympic gold or world championship gold. And for her to get that would be a big deal in Eugene on home soil. For the record, there's only six men that have run under 13.10. So you could argue the women's is more, more depth. But the top four you men are all Americans in the on the world. So if you're more American, well, that one's debatable. But star yeah. power, hey. Robert. Grant Holloway's a star. Devin Allen's a star. Are there anyone in the women's hurdles who's a star? Not on that level. Kenny Harrison is she's very good. But is she shouldn't Kenny Harrison be a bigger star than Devin Allen, who's never won a medal at the world championships? But is she, Robert? Well, no, Devin Robert, Allen signed with an NFL team. Like, Devin Allen just ran 12.84. Devin Allen is a bigger name than Katie Harrison. He's a name. He's a brand. And not only that, I mean, I assume that 
his father, they had a funeral. I don't know. Like this guy's made the team, had to bury his father, and then go back to Worlds. It's going to be a big storyline before he goes to the NFL. On home soil, he's an Oregon Duck, and he's running at Haywood Field. So yeah. Fair enough. You win. All right, let's go through the 10 events. The 10 events we're most excited. We're probably going to publish this as an article as well. No particular order, right, John? We haven't. We probably should organize them from 10 to 1, though. Maybe for the article, we put them in an order, but we didn't do it for the podcast. We just talked about the 110 hurdles, the men's bloodbath there. That's one of them. Yeah. The one I listed first, and it's probably going to be first on my list in the article too, is the men's 200. I just, that race at the trials between Lyles and Knighton was one of the moments of the trials. They are two all-time talents in this event. We got a little bit of bad blood. Noah doesn't seem to think there's any bad blood, but I'm not so sure about Knighton. Knighton might feel differently. This could be a huge coming out party for Knighton. If Knighton wins this thing in like 19.4 or 19.5, you know, the the hype machine. At, at the age of 18, he's an 18-year-old. The fact that we're even talking about that he could win a world title in this event is insane, but I think I'd have him actually as the slight favorite even though he lost to Lyles at USA's. They have the different styles. Lyles, Knighton runs an incredible bend. Lyles has great top-end speed and comes on late. I just I saw that race. I couldn't wait to see them running it again. So that is probably my most anticipated final of the World Championships is that men's 200. And the big thing there is the potential of Knighton. Are we going to see that? Is this the unveiling of, of like Mona Lisa, the unveiling of Bolt, basically? It kind of reminds me in some ways a little bit of, and I know Lyle's kind of had an off year last year and only got the bronze, but you know, when Bolt was the man and Blake came up, you're like, wow. But back then, people were like, oh, most people were thinking Bolt was still the man. Here, I'm thinking it's the opposite. The younger guy is going to be the man. But it's interesting. I was looking at the age gap. The age gap between Bolt and and Blake is like, I think Bolt's 35 right now. Blake's 32. There's a much bigger age gap between Lyles. He's now 24. He's almost 25. I think he'll be 25 in a couple days. Is it like July 8th or something? July 18th. So he'll turn 25 at Worlds. Knighton's only 18. So Lyles must have been old in high school, right? Lyles was, well, wait a minute. He was born in July. He turned 19 in the summer, July of the summer after graduating. By your standards, he's perfectly normal aged for his grade, right? But by everyone else's standard, he's actually a year, he's a year old. Yeah, I was born on July 24th. My good friend Chris Lear, author of Running the Buffaloes, was at Princeton with me the same year, but he was a year he was more than a year younger than me. He was born July 26th. Yeah. So actually when we talk about Bolt, uh, you know, like we said, we have the rule with the Bolt comparisons, but Aaron Knighton is good enough that he's allowed to be compared to Bolt. What's so crazy about him isn't just how good he was. It's that his coming out party was in the Olympic 100-meter final. You know, he, he I guess he had broken the world record earlier that year, so he was viewed as the favorite and people kind of knew him. But, like, that was really... And, you know, he was a phenom coming up, too. But, like, the moment he solidified himself as a star was on the biggest possible stage. And I guess that's maybe that's the only way it could happen. You can't just solidify yourself as... If you run 969 in the Diamond League final, that's not going to transform you into a superstar... But it is, you know, it's just interesting. That's 
that it came on such a big stage. I wonder if, you know, if Knighton does something credible, incredible, is a world championships in the United States, is that going to be big enough to transform him into a mainstream star? Or would we have to wait for the Olympics for everyone to actually start, you know, the mainstream sports fans to learn about Arian Knighton? So I only caught part of that something was playing in my ear, but is a gold here big enough to make him mainstream sports star? Yes. Definitely. I don't think he has to wait for the Olympics. No. The bolt, the just the natural bolt comparisons. He wins this. He's going to be a megastar. So that is going to be, and with the trash talk, you know, uh, amazing stuff. All right. You've got the men's 100 on here. I mean, would it be possible to have a Worlds and not have the men's 100 as one of the 10 most anticipated events? Just like who is the world's fastest human being? No, the this, the appeal of this event is self-explanatory. We get it. Like, it's always going to be one of the must-watch events. But this year especially, because the Americans didn't get it done in Tokyo last year. Curly, Fred Curley ran great in Tokyo, but he did not win the goal. You know, he didn't, he wasn't supposed to be the guy contending for goal. It was supposed to be Trayvon Bromel going out there and getting it done. Bromel totally created in Tokyo, didn't even make the final. So we got the redemption for arc for him. We got Coleman coming back from his suspension. He's the reigning world champion. Didn't run the final at USA's. We've got Marvin Bracey, who... And ben, Bromel barely made... You know, he was only third at the trials. So Marvin Bracey beat him. I don't think Marvin Bracey really has a shot to win, but you know, he's second at the US trials. You actually... You have to be at least in the conversation. Fred Curley with as an incredible two days of sprinting as we've seen by anyone the last few years, 976, 977, and 983. Sorry, 983 was in the first round, but then 976 and 978 in the semis and final. Just tremendous. And then you've got Marcel Jacobs, who is the Olympic champion. It's obviously a surprise last year. He runs 980 in the final. But then he comes back, he beats Coleman in the 60 at World Indoors. Not a lot of people saw that coming. The problem is he hasn't really been racing this year. He hasn't raced outside of Italy. He was supposed to run Stockholm. And he ended up scratching that because they didn't think his body was ready for it. He's only run 10-0 this spring. We know what he can do at his very best. He is a good, he's a big championship performer but his health is very much up in the air. So, And then you've got the young Jamaicans, Oblique Seville, who has run 9.86 this year. You've got the old Jamaican, Johan Blake, who's run 9.85. And you've got Ferdinando Amanyala, who hasn't done that much since winning in Nairobi, but we have to remember, he beat Fred Curley head-to-head in a 100-meter race earlier this year. So that has to count for something when you're beating the guy who is the world championship favorite. I agree. But if the Eugene track is faster than Jamaican track, maybe these Jamaican guys, maybe it's Oblique Seville is the one we're talking about. Only 21. He could win it. Christian Coleman, where does he, through all the races, he all of a sudden arrives. I can just as easily see him not making the final. He's only seated eighth in the, in the world list right now. I mean, that's what just makes this thing. It's wide open. Remember last year, this time we were all pretty confident Bromel was going to win it. I think we're thinking that about Curly now, but uh, not so much. I just, I'm not sure if that's a smart call. So that's going to be awesome. Um, 
All right, I'm just going down this list again. These aren't in order. This is where the sexism charge could 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 some could say because you don't have an appropriate female on here. Can Grant Fisher medal? I agree with this. This is one of the things I'm most into. I think it's fun. Um, I, I think if you're arguing in terms of if you're a women's running fan, you say, well, why don't we have Ken Sinclair Johnson medal? And I think that the difference in defense of you here is Grant Fisher's a brand. He's a name we've been following for, God, close to 10 years now. High school phenom, footlocker champ twice, sub four in high school, college champ as a sophomore. So he's got brand equity. We know who he is. We got fifth in the Olympics. Um, whereas Sinclair, I don't know what she did in high school, but she didn't. She wasn't somebody that we at the Let's Run level were really following. College, yeah, she had like a breakout year and won the NCAA title, but doesn't make the Olympics last year. So there's not as much backstory there where fans are sort of seen this and have been anticipating this. And, you know, like the best part of Weldon always says, the best part of casinos when you're in the parking lot. Well, we've been in the parking lot a long time with Grant Fisher. Yeah, he's been smashing American records this year, you know. And if you want to piggy, if you want to piggyback Sinclair onto this, fine. You know, I that I'm definitely excited to see what she can do. I think she absolutely has a shot to medal in that 1500. But Grant Fisher, he's kind of hit all the checkpoints you want to see someone hit, right? Prep star, college star. Now he has a U.S. title. He's got American records. This is the next stage. This is really, you know, if he's going to go down. He, look, he's probably already going to go down as one of the legends of American distance running, but this is the thing, you you know, the true legends, they get these medals. And Grant doesn't have one yet. He's going to have a nice period now, four straight global championships in which to get one. But he's got a pretty good shot in that 10K because the 10K is not as deep as the 5K. Actually, well, we'll, we'll get to it with the Ethiopians. Looks like Berahu Aragawi might actually be running the 10K now, which is not good for... Grant Fisher's medal chances, but he's he's got a shot. When you've run 12.53 and 26.33, like he has this year, you've got a shot to medal in both events, and watching him go for it was going to be interesting. Oh, yeah, I think you, you made a good point there. I mean, like, I think he's the greatest American distance runner, the best American distance runner we've ever had. And to me, there's not as much baggage as with Rupp. Was, what about Galen Rupp? Wait, wait. Rupp, one more. Rupp, one wait more. Wait a second. Do you just say Grant Fisher's the best American distance runner we've ever had? Yeah. I mean, I, Frank Shorter obviously accomplished more than Billy Mills, but nobody could touch Grant Fisher in a race. Dude, Legat? Legat would beat him. Legat was already a 326 guy before he became an American. I'm just saying he was American and he was a world champion and he ran 1253. Bernard Legat would beat Grant Fisher in a race. For his prime Bernard Lagat. I don't consider Bernard Lagat to be a distance runner. I consider him to be a middle distance runner. Primarily known as a 1500 runner. I'm talking about long distance. 510 up. I could see Rupp. Rupp versus Fisher in a 10K. I'm not sure I go with Fisher. Like 2012 yeah. Rupp against 2022 Fisher. I think it would be. We'll see. I mean. Well, Rupp did that without the super shoe. So I, I, I kind of agree with you. But with Rupp, it wasn't as much fun. I was always worried whether he was getting Andrew gel at night when, when he was getting a massage. I'd been hearing rumors since he, he was in high school. So behind the scenes to me, it, there was conflict itself. And I know people are saying, but he's part of the Bowerman Track Club and they tested positive. That's fine. You can think that. I don't think that. I don't have concerns about whether Grant Fisher is on drugs or not. To me, he was. Fast in high school, sub four in high school. Galen Rupp was not fast in high school. Um, so there wasn't a weird speed run. 
He also was like undertrained. He didn't go to altitude camps, sleep in altitude tents in high school. So his post-college improvement to me makes sense. He started training more. He's dropped the Stanford academic load. He now does high training, altitude training for the first time. He wasn't in altitude in college. All of this makes sense. So I can be on board and excited about this. So, hey, I, I, I mean, he's obviously not – he's never run a marathon. Ryan Hall was pretty damn good at that. You saying he's better than Paul Chalimo? Paul Chalimo's medaled in the 5,000 twice at the Olympics, Robert, and at the World Championships. He has three medals. Grant Fisher may never win three medals. You're saying Grant Fisher's already better than Paul Chalimo? I, no, I don't buy that. Okay, let me rephrase it. And you're going to say he wasn't born in America. So, fine. Someone who was born as a citizen. The moment they were born like you, they were an American citizen. Didn't matter whether they were born in Germany like Frank Shorter, born in Canada like Grant Fisher. Eligible born... to become the president. That's what you're saying. Yes. Natural born U.S. citizen. People now use racist. Oh, my God. I'm just like, no, this is the guy that, like, if you're some nerd and you've been, like, dreaming of, like, working your ass off to become Amer to, to, to represent America from the day you're born, win a medal, this may be the best talent we've ever had. He's certainly a, a, an all-time talent. When Bernard Lagat was, was in the Kenyan village hearing about the Olympics for the first time, he wasn't thinking, oh, I can't wait until the day I win the medal for America. Okay, I'm just saying, this is you're, you're getting very uh, specific with your uh, criteria. I need, yet, but. And I, I need Weldon to delete this segment because this may be the end of me. Uh, I feel trying. You must have said worse. We've been doing this podcast for, what, three, three or four years now? You probably have worse segments. Okay, another excited event. John is moving yeah. on. Let's get off this one. <laughs> Men's 400 hurdles. Is Carson Wilhelm healthy? Can he win again? Mariah Benjamin of America, is he healthy? He won USA's, but he said he missed some time. Versus the young guy, DeSantos from Brazil. He's been healthy. He's been winning everything. He said he wants to run 45. He went out super fast in that last Diamond League. I think this is a great race. I think it's more interesting than Sydney McLaughlin. We do have her later as a world record watch, but here, we don't even know who's going to win the race. I think a world record is less likely than it is in the Sydney race, but it, 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 there's, a lot of, there's a lot of excitement. The thing I love about Warholm is, is the intensity. You know, Do you remember when he first came on the Diamond League scene, or was it a world scene, and he was like flexing, and Michael Johnson made fun of him? I thought it was Carl Lewis. Or was it? Yeah, it was like Carl Lewis quoted a tweet of him flexing on the start line. He's like, Oh, let's see the results of that race or something. It's like, well, actually he won. And then he won the world championship that year. Yeah. Some people didn't like it. I loved it. I've always loved it. It's, it's exciting. He gets into it. The crowd gets into it. He's very expressive, which creates some awesome images after the race, which, and it's very interesting because Rye Benjamin's the opposite. Rye Benjamin's cool. He's laid back. He's chill. And that those two have this rivalry, which... Benjamin is yet to be Wilhelm. We should mention that. But it, it's pretty interesting. They grow up, you know, Benjamin's a New York guy. Wilhelm's from Norway. Two different parts of the world. Two different personality types. But they bring out the best in each other. It's pretty awesome. And now you've got this new guy on the scene, Alison Dos Santos, who, 22 years old, 46.80 this year, 46.72 last year. Even if Warholm's not in there, it's going to be good. It'll, the race will be missing something without Warholm, but Dos Santos beat Rye Benjamin earlier this year in Doha. He's been consistently running low 47s and now 46. 
Rye Benjamin missed some time, but he ran 47.04 USAs, and I think he's got room to improve that if he can just get two more weeks you know, of training. It, yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. And Cam Warholm, who has not less, lost a race in this event for four or five years, I think he hasn't lost since 2018. Can he summon, is he going to show up and run? What's he capable of? Just unknowns, greatness. It's, it's going to be terrific. It won't be, I don't think it'll be Tokyo 2021 with the 4594, but it'll be exciting in its own way. And these guys don't race each other that often. You think they would for our hurdles, but Warham's only raced Dos Santos five times, Benjamin three times. Dos Santos and Benjamin have only raced each other five times. So. That's good. All right. Women's 100. Looks like you're into that. That's number six on your list. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, I think I said earlier, trying to win Worlds 14 years after her first global title. That would be like Bolt still running now. I mean, who's older, her or Bolt? That was the exact point I was going to make, Robert. She was born December of 1986, and Usain Bolt was born in August of 1986. So she's four months younger than he is. But... Yeah, she turns 36 this year, and she's still dropping 10 sixes, no problem. She's coming off probably the best year of her career in terms of like start to finish. She didn't win the gold in Tokyo, but in terms of how fast she was running the entire year, you could make a case 2021 was the best season of Shelly Ann Fraser Price's career. And I have her as my favorite for gold. I know she got beat. At the, well, she actually didn't run the final at the Jamaican Trials because she has the bye. And she got beat in the 200, but she's not. She's never been an amazing 200 runner. She does have a global title, but that's the, her events have always been the 100. So I think I still have her as the GOAT of the 100. Elaine thompson Haraz never won a world title of any kind. So can she show up and raise her game like she did at the Olympics last year, or is she going to get beat again? And then Sharika Jackson just ran 10-7 to win the Jamaican trial. She's in shape. But yeah, to me, it's more about just winning a... Winning a global title 14 years apart, how many athletes in any event have ever done that? I don't think it's ever happened in the Olympics because if you're going to win four titles, people have won four, but it's been 12 years apart from their first to their last. I don't know if anyone's ever gone 16 years apart. And then the world stage, I'm trying to think. I mean, Kipchoge won worlds in the 5K in 2003 and then... He was Olympic champion in the marathon in 2021. So that's 18 years, but that's two different events. Winning the same event 14 years apart. 18 I don't know if it's years? ever happened. Yeah, it's insane, right? Is that guy kind of a legend? He should, kind of should be. Oh, wait, he is. I was thinking about this race. Like, oh, of course, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price is going to win this. It's a cool story, but she's been dominant. She's run 10-6, 10-7. She's not I mean, she doesn't race that often, but she's been 10-6-7 or 10-7 on almost every race. But I'm just like, Lane Thompson here is not running very well. She only was third in the Jamaican trials in like 10, 8, 9 or something. And then I looked up her results from last year. Jamaican trials, 10, 84, third, 100, 200, 2202, third. And then she wins the Olympics in both events. So I guess she cannot be written off. This year, she. Um, Elaine Thompson ran 1089 in the 100 and 2205 in the 200. 
yeah. So it'll be good. We know it's. And I be do think this though. This, you know, we we had this debate. Elaine Thompson Harris got double double gold in the Olympics, but like, who's the better sprinter? And we talked to the coaches at the Olympics last year. John Wright, um, help me out with his name, Stephen Francis, and he was coaching. Wait, which one was he coaching last year? He was coaching Thompson Hurrah. Yeah, but he was admitting at the time he's like, you can't call her the goat. Shelley's had done more over her whole career. But if Thompson Hurrah gets her here, uh, then you're starting to wonder. Scott's getting double, interesting. Double Olympics. So And she has Foster PBs in the hundred and two hundred. So that'll be a fun one. To avoid the anti field event bias we have and to avoid getting in trouble with women, our next most anticipated race is actually three races. We have the world record Ross watch for Sydney McLaughlin. Mondo DePlantis and Ryan Krauser. These three athletes are amazing. If any of them lose, it would be a huge shock. That being said, Ryan Krauser has never won a world title. It's kind of a cool story. He's hoping to get the one hole in his resume field here, indoors or outdoors. He's from Oregon. I put it up on the homepage today. I recommend to read from Cathal Dennehy, friend of Let's Run, who went to Krauser's some high school a couple hours away from Eugene and watched him work out with his dad. It's crazy how good his family was like Ryan's grandfather, I think was like Olympic level thrower. Then his three sons, his dad and his two brothers were all like a couple more in the Olympics. And he's got a cousin that was in the Olympics, but they're like, yeah, we knew, you know, throwing ran in the family, but then like Ryan was throwing like the discus or shot in like some elementary school meet or junior high meet, like a hundred feet farther than anyone else in the meet. And like he was throwing 200 feet, everybody else was throwing hundred feet. And hitting the shed. It's, it's a great anecdote. So you should check that out on the homepage. So may, may, maybe we should actually add into that, John, Rojas. Because you and I aren't normally into the field events. It's kind of hard to follow and goes on the whole event. We're in the mix zone interviewing people. But there's a charisma to Rojas. I loved watching her at the Olympics last year. I happened to realize she was sort of going for it. And then the last, it wasn't the last attempt when she got the world record or fifth attempt. Like you knew she was going for the world record and she got it. Like she's a big game performer. It's cool to watch her. So I, I think those are going to be fun things. You know, if, if you're at the track that day, be sure to check out the field event if you're watching that day. Yeah. I mean, these um, are basically goats. These are Cindy McLaughlin's going to be the goat of the 400 hurdles. Mondo, Krauser, Rojas, they're going to be the goats of their events if they're not, you know, or I think Krauser already is the goat in the shop put. But the one thing about Rojas is she hasn't, she hasn't really competed much this year out after the world. She set the world record indoors, 1574 at world indoors, but she's only jumped at two different meets this year and only once in the triple jump. So assuming she's healthy and ready to go, yes, she'll be, uh, performer to watch, but I was just c- kind of curious. I hadn't seen her on the circuit much this year. And with Mondo, if he keeps going for as long as Bubka did, I mean, he's already like approaching the most sub, most six meter vaults I think ever. And he's like young, like he could be the goat times ten. Because he could be like the Kip coach. Kip as Kip, Kip Choke is to the marathon, he could be the that to the. Vault. Women's 800. Ajay Wilson. Athang Mo. Raven Rogers. 
Keely Hutchinson, Mary Moran. All things a big favorite. But, but would you be shocked if any of those women beat her? I think I'd be pretty shocked if Keeley did. I'd be shocked if any of them beat her except for Ajay Wilson. I'm not shocked, but I don't think Raven's doing it. I think's definitely the favorite. I mean, and it's gonna be it's gonna be good. I hope that what someone gives her a real challenge like Ajay did at USA's. It's not just a procession like the Olympic final last year. That's the thing we don't know if if a thing Mo just came out and pantsed everyone every meet this year this event wouldn't be exciting that's not what's happened she did win convincingly in rome but she has not been she's not pr'd as robert always looks for you know she's 20 years old so she's made it past the robert age cutoff you know she was pring when she was 19 so according to robert she's fine but she hasn't run faster than last year she looked vulnerable at usa's wilson's never won a global outdoor title America could go one, two, three in this event on home soil. That's something that Mara and Hodgkinson will try to be stop, trying to stop. Yeah, potential for a terrific race down the home straight. I'm hoping for a replay of USA's. Hodge takes the lead. Our thing comes back, and we have a dead heat. Rerun the race. A gold medal tie. And then they don't rerun it, and we can all celebrate the tie like we did at the Worlds. I, I, and I will, I'll celebrate it, I guess. I still think they should have a match race for the gold, make it more interesting. But, okay, that's number eight. We only have two events left. John Gold's 10 votes he's most excited for. Now, this is the one where you're going to hit the sexism charge. John says, men's steeple, does Concessos Caprudo have anything left? Well, Kipruto's not the only storyline here. We said last year the men's steeple was shit, but this year we've had Lamecha Goma is running sub-eights like they're going out of style. Sufyan El-Bakali outkicked him earlier this year in Rabat. That was one of the races of the year when both men broke eight minutes. He's the defending Olympic champion. And then you've got Conceslos Kipruto, who is the reigning world champion and who... Didn't really do much in 2017 or 2019 those years. He was kind of injured going into those worlds and won both of them. And now he's actually run 808 after barely running at all in 2020 and 2021. He's back on the scene. And, you know, we did, I did, you know, we have to mention this when we bring up his name. He had these defilement charges, which is basically statutory rape charges back in Kenya filed against him. Nothing has come of that yet. I tried checking in with his agent, Michelle Burting. He wasn't really able to give me any sort of update, but he's racing and that's sort of his status at the moment. But he has one of the, like the whole story about Goma versus El Bacali is Goma tries to break him and then El Bacali outkicks him because El Bacali has the kick. Well, Conceslus Kipruto has one of the greatest kicks in the history of this event. And he beat Goma, the last world title, by 0.01 in Doha in 2019. He outkicked El Bacali with one shoe in the Diamond League final in 2018. So he's got a flair for the dramatic and he can close. And the fact that he's run 808 says he's not that far off if he's there with a lap to go. He could be a factor in Worlds, you know, unless it's like a 758 race. And if it's a 758 race at Worlds, guess what? That's going to be exciting as well. So I think there's a lot of potential for excitement in this event. 
And Evan Jig is coming back. You know, can he make the final? But he's not going to be in the medal hunt. But couldn't this, this, the same be said of the women's events? You've got two women, sub nine. Noor Tanui, the best steeplechaser on the planet, who's not been allowed to run Worlds, is finally going to be allowed to run it for Kazakhstan. Emma Coburn's going to be going for a medal. I've already said it. The coolest thing ever would be if she gets the American record, goes sub nine, and wins gold on home soil. Courtney Fryrix has got the Olympic silver. She's trying to come back. Just Didn't mention Winfred Yavi, who just ran a world-leading 856 from Bahrain. But, I don't know. The, again, I'm kind of more interested in Goma. Maybe maybe this is my sexism coming through, but I'm kind of more interested in the storyline with Goma and El Bacali than I am with Winfred Yavi of Bahrain and Nor Gerudo of Kazakhstan. Like it would be a big deal for Ethiopia to win the steeplechase for the first time at a world championships or any sort of global championships. For Morocco, you know, Morocco, can they win the, the steeple here? And then, or can Kenya retain its title? You know, can Kiprudo, they lost the Olympic title last year. Can Kenya come back and win the, the event they've long dominated? I know. Coburn's not as good as Caputo, but it's a very similar storyline. Can she come back? She embarrassed herself in the Olympics, blah, blah, blah. So. That's intriguing. I'm definitely excited to see what she can do there. And I actually think she is going to be in the medal mix because she looked good at USA. She looked commanding. She looked like she had more in the tank, and she ran about 909-910 in that race. So I, I do think she'll be in the medal hunt. I'm a little bit more skeptical about Frerix. I think Frerix can make some gains between USA's and Worlds, but I think she had a rough start to her year and there's just not enough time. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season, Dime League final, Courtney Ferrex is running very fast, but turning it around for Worlds might just be too much too soon. And number 10. This is one I'm really into. Jacob Ingebrigtsen goes for the 15-5 double. Look, he won the Olympic title at what, 19 or 20 last year? Age 20, yeah. In the 1500. Got beat at World Indoors. Makes it more interesting. His father mouthed off and said he'd never lose to Timothy Chariot again. He did lose to Timothy Chariot last year. But the boy wonder, this never happens. Like, the age group phenom wins it all at 20. Can he keep going? I think he's the favorite in the 1500. But I've started to say this recently. He's got one way to run. He needs someone else. to. He needs to help push the pace. He's always had Timothy Chariot to push the pace for him. Is Timothy going to push the pace? Now, the weird thing is, I think if Timothy wants to medal, he wants a fast pace. But I don't know, man. Prisoner's dilemma. I would, If I'm Timothy Chariot, I'm not taking the middle of this race. Wait a second. You keep saying he always needs Timothy Chariot to push the pace. Chariot helped Chariot help push the pace in the Olympic final. But I haven't seen Chariot being the one dragging the pace along in these Diamond Leagues this year. I seem to recall Jakob Ingebrigtsen doing quite a bit of work to run a 346 mile at in Oslo and a 347 mile at the pre-classic this year. Yes, but the, both those races had rabbits. Do you remember that fact, John? Yeah, but then he keeps pushing. The whole reason why Ingebrigtsen's so good is the rabbits drop off, and instead of letting the pace slack, and then it comes down to a last lap kick, he just keeps pushing for that third 400. So, I, I mean... I, you, you're acting like this a is rabbit some is worth, According to John Kellogg, a rabbit is worth a second. John, write a second a lap in the 1500. 
Now the guys behind him have to run extra distance. But go out and run a time trial yourself and see how fast you're going to run. Look, I will admit going from the front in a world championship final, going wire to wire, that is a very tough way to win. But we saw Chariot do it in 2019. He almost did it in 2017 and 2021. He was just beat. And is there, I guess my question is, okay, yeah, if there was a guy who was like close to Jakob in ability, then I don't think it would be a smart way to run because that guy could outkick you. But who right now is close to Jakob in ability? I think the gap is wide enough between him and the second best guy that he can sacrifice a little time by whatever extra effort it takes to lead and still win. Well, if you think of Jakob as like a 328 guy and everybody else is a 330 guy, so then he can afford to lead the, you know, you know, he's got a rabbit for the first two, two to three laps. He can afford to lead it for two to three laps because that's two to three seconds. Then he's the same as everybody else, but he's running less distance. Yeah. I'm saying if he goes out and runs, if he tries to solo a 329 like the Chariot did in 2019 or even a 328, who's going to be that? Who's going to blow by him at the end? Who do you see doing that and running a 328 or 329? Well, it's hard to do. I don't see it happening. Maybe Abel Kipsang, but I don't think Chariot's as good as he was last year. Josh Kerr ran 329 in the Olympic final, but he's not as good as he was last year. Oli Hoare has tried to go with him and he couldn't because he's just couldn't run 346 in Oslo. Like, it's really fast. I, I just think Jakob's good enough to run away from everyone else. It's, still, it's not to say that that strategy doesn't carry risk, but do, what do you think's more risky, Robert? Him trying to do that or him sitting in the pack and trying to time his kick right and outkick people. Sitting in the pack, letting it go too slow. But you might want to take it. Yeah, you could try to do a centro. Control it from the no. I wouldn't risk that. I, if you're going to go to the front and you're in Brixton, you're going to make it fast. I mean, I think Imbrins is good enough that even if he pulls a centro and goes, let's say it goes to 700 and he just squeezes it down the last 800. You can only close so fast, and there's going to be a lot of traffic from the guys behind him. So only the people like really that that are pretty close to him will probably have a chance to win it. So I, it's just it's fascinating. It's one of the few events where tattoos make a big deal. So whatever. And then the five thousand, we don't really know what he's capable. I mean, he jogged that thirteen minutes, and but you put that fifteen hundred meter speed in the five thousand, it's going to be interesting. And I don't understand why we we we, we should have broken the story as breaking news, John guess you're not the one to break it, but tell us what's going on with the Ethiopians because it just seems like the world is finally listening to me. I've been saying, like, do this, do this with the rules, and they're do this, do this with the doubles, and people are finally starting to – I mean, I don't know if they've officially adopted the false start rule that I have of moving everybody back five meters, but it sounds like the Ethiopians are going to let some guys double. Tell me what you learned. Yeah, now look, this is great assault here. Anything the Ethiopian Federation says – they change course on a whim. So who knows if this is actually going to happen, but this is from Arman Ahmed on Twitter. He's pretty plugged in. He's a photographer, Ethiopian, uh, who is usually right about this sort of thing. He says, running double, 5,000 and 10,000 at World Championships Oregon, men, Solomon Baregas, Berahu Aragawi, women, Latessenbat Kide, Edgeyahu Taye. So, that's a big deal because Borrego, they for a while they've been saying no, no one's allowed to double, and it was supposed to be Aragawi in the five thousand, Borrego in the ten thousand. Now you're adding in Borrego, 
who is the Olympic champion in the 10,000. He's also the world indoor champion in the 3,000. Ferocious kicker. That makes this 5,000 more interesting. And can Ingebrigtsen... You know, Ingebrigtsen won that big race in Florence last year in 1248, the Diamond League. He beat Joshua Cheptegei, who was the Olympic 5,000 champion that year in that race. So he could absolutely win, but... There are a bunch of guys right now. We just saw two Kenyans run in the 1240s, uh, Jacob Kropp and Nicholas Camelli. So it's going to be a fascinating event. And if Ingebrigtsen can win both titles at the age of 21, he's an even bigger legend than he already is. So I love that Ingebrigtsen's going for it. I love that the 5K... I mean, could you imagine this, Robert? We get the Olympic 10K champion, Borrega, the Olympic 5K champion, Cheptegei, and the Olympic 1500 champion, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, all in one race for the 5,000 world title. How amazing would that be? Absolutely amazing. This is the sport new more need of. Instead of people begging out or running a different event, not avoiding the matchups, we have everybody. Instead of the 5,000 water down, everyone's in it. Now, when we were talking about the Fisher medal chances, this is bad for Fisher because you've got Aragawi in the 10. You've got Caprimo. You've got Aragawi. You've got Borrega. And you've got Cheptegei. Yeah. The one guy that won't be that, maybe you should give an update on this, is Dominic Lokanyomo Labalu. Now, he's the guy, we made a big deal about this on the Friday 15 last week, listed as a member of the athlete refugee team. He won the 3000 in Stockholm, 729, beats out Jacob Kiplimo, Olympic bronze medalist in the 10,000. We were saying, wow, this is crazy. And then we were freaking out. We're like, why can't this guy run at the World Championships? If he's on the athlete refugee team, doesn't matter if he has the standard or not. World Athletics controls the entries. They can just let him in. Well, here's the thing. He actually hasn't been on the athlete refugee team since 2019. He left. There was a race in Switzerland, and he had been training as part of the athlete refugee team in Kenya. But when it came time to stay home, he to go home, he stayed in Switzerland. He defected. And that meant that he forfeited his spot on the a- the ART. He was still listed on the entries as athlete refugee team. That was just a mistake on the organizer's part. He's no longer part of that team, which means he has to A, qualify like everyone else for the World Championships, which he doesn't have the standard, and B, needs to represent a country. You know, you either need, he needs to get clearance because he's not on the ART anymore. He would need to get World Athletics to reverse course. And I don't think they were thrilled about the fact that he abandoned the team by staying in Switzerland. Now there, look, there's a good article about this. We can link in the show notes on time magazine that really dives into the situation there. He's not the only athlete in recent years. Who's defected from the ART. They want to improve their lives. They felt like it was hard to do in the camp in Kenya. It's a complicated situation, but the bottom line is that he is currently not eligible to represent the ART, and he's, I don't know that he's eligible to represent South Sudan or any other federation. So for the moment, he will not be running. Well, he won't be running the Worlds. We don't know the next time we'll see him, if we'll see him at a global championship. And plus, he doesn't have the standard. So there you go. Right, right. Anywho, so that's the update on him. And I think that's going to do it. We'll We'll have a big meaty world championships preview next week weldon will be back i'll be on the road to eugene we'll talk about the big events but 
that is about going to do it for this week, unless you have any other topics you want to hit before we leave, Robert. I was going to say it's a lucrative weekend for Sam Prakel, the guy who led most of the U.S. 1,500-meter title, 1,500-meter final before finishing. I forgot where he finished, like 10th or 12th or 8th or eighth. something. 8th. He has set a state record at the downtown Yakima Mile. Now, the message board says he won $15,000. Race Results Weekly says he won $10,000. But this is a good way to get over your the fact that you're not going to world sorrow. Must be downhill, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that and get everyone pumped up for Worlds. Hopefully, you guys came to the website yesterday on July 4th. A killer special on the red, white, and blue shirts. We don't like to put things on sale very often, but I will give people a small hint. Let's run that come Founders Day is coming up. It's the final day of Worlds, July 24th. My brother, well, my mother brought two wonderful children by the name of Robert and Weldon Johnson into this earth. We'll have to celebrate my mother giving birth this weekend. Next year, we may not celebrate it because it's a terrible anniversary of that day. It's a big number. Don't say it, John. Oh, wow. Don't say it. I know don't the number, it, too. It's John, a big no, one. you don't. No, you don't, John. <laughs> yes, I do. No, you don't. So, but it's been a fun podcast we're going to kick some ass on the friday 15 bonus podcast join the supporters club today let's run.com slash subscribe Weldon's gonna be mad i didn't do any ad reads or anything but. well through the magic of post-production maybe he can insert some who knows well we had well yeah weldon thanks for joining us on the voicemail line earlier today hopefully we got a satisfactory response to your question about elijah manigoy if you want the Friday 15, remember to go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. You get our free bonus. Well, it's included with the price of your subscription. Our bonus podcast every Friday. Plus, t-shirt, great deals on shoes and gear. And you get to show your support for the site that you love, letsrun.com. So really, it's a win-win-win-win. And for Jonathan Galt, who didn't really do much of a victory lap. I thought the Tragus Tiger, I thought you'd be stomping on the graves of all the people that apologized to you. Well, we will link to the show notes to the thread. It's a pretty interesting thread, people. It's just fascinating to me how it's, it reminds me of Politics America Day. Some people are like, Taggart's a doping apologist. Some people are like, He's, he busts too many people randomly. Like, there's no middle ground. It's very weird how people are just one or the other on this topic. To me, it's very confusing. All of that. So, all right. Until Friday. Stay safe. Run fast. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, they're almost here. The World Championships in Eugene, Oregon. They're less than 10 days away. And we know you're a huge track and field fan. We also know you're not a member of the Let's Run.com supporters club. It's time to change that. To get all the Let's Run.com content from worlds. We're going to have daily Shows, daily podcasts for Supporters Club members. Don't miss out on any of the inside Let's Run scoop from Eugene. Join today, letsrun.com slash subscribe. You also can save 20% on running shoes. The membership can pay for itself. Hell, sign up for a month and cancel. Buy a pair of shoes. It'll more than pay for itself. Or go big. Join the Supporters Club for a year and get one of the softest running shirts in the business. The letsrun.com shirts, free training program, and a lot more. We guarantee you won't be disappointed. Let's run.com slash subscribe.